Welcome to Draw, Lose or Draw, a weekly podcast covering all things Partick Thistle. Joining me this week to look back on Saturday's 2-1 victory over Greenock Morton, Rhys Haldane. Rhys, how are you? Yeah, I'm great. Thanks for asking, Matt. I'm really looking forward to discussing the, the win over Morton. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to this one. Heather Holloway's here. Heather, how are you? Great, thank you, Matt. Always good to have a double winning weekend and a fantastic event last night as well. Uh, with Chris Dillon and Brian Graham so yeah a really good start to the week and always smiling after a thistle win and rounding off our panel David Forrest David how are you I'm doing well um the game the Morton game on Saturday took about five years off my life expectancy but apart from that I'm doing well and looking forward to talking about thistle <laughs> Jamie McDonald sadly not with us tonight because uh, we hear that Dougie Emery's got them in training double and triple sessions this week. He's, he's an angry man. Heather, you, you missed the podcast last week and uh, I, I'm going to start off by by offering offering the floor for you and for anyone else. Just an apology section. Anything you want to get off your chest? I'm actually waiting for an apology from you for um, the the absolute sniper you gave me earlier about, about my love of a certain boy band, which I'm not taking back at all. And um, I would like to apologise. I would like to apologise to Blair Alston because that was an absolutely fantastic finish. And I did have my head in my hands when we announced that substitution. I do want to apologise to him for for uh, maybe some of the comments, but I still don't think he's great. So he's not like getting like a full apology, just like sorry for doubting you yet on Saturday. <laughs> Fair enough. Reese, David, any any apologies you want to get off your chest before we move on? Yeah, just in the, the same the same breath as Heather there. Like, Blair Alston, like, if it was any good, it would have been walking away with a match ball on Saturday with a Chelsea <laughs> telling the plate to the guy. It's called the most difficult one. But now, all jokes aside, I want to make it... In fact, before we even get on to the apology, like, the, the fact that Blair Alston scored that goal, I remember the, the cross coming in and you see Fitzpatrick wheeling away. So this is from the North Stand, so you don't get the best view. And I remember everyone sort of in my vicinity were like, oh, it's, aye, that's an own goal. Like, you can almost, you think it's an own goal because of the way that Fitzpatrick runs away. They were announcing Blair Alston scored it, and we're like, that's definitely an own goal. They're just trying to G up Blair Alston. And then having seen it back, like, we, we've done the guy the biggest discredit of all time. It was an absolute belter of a goal. Um, in terms of apology, I'll, I'll send a wee apology to C.D. Williams. Um, I know not just myself, I know quite a lot of us doubted him. And I still have, the jury's still out on him. But in the last couple of games, he has come on leaps and bounds. So long may that continue. Happy for the guy. And um, I'm, I'm always happy to see any any player prove me wrong. Hopefully uh, Blair Olsen can, t- can continue to put in the, the hard graft. We'll, we'll speak a bit more about Blair Olsen's goal a bit later. David, I'll throw the starting 11 question, the dreaded starting 11 question to you this week. We were unchanged from our win at Upper Broth, but Jack McMillan was back on the bench. Were you quite happy with the team sheet when you saw it on, on Saturday afternoon? 
Yeah, um, I was. It was good to see McMillan back in there. I think we'd all been worried about how long he was going to be out. And I think Dolan had done an interview previously, um, maybe the day before, saying that he was back in training and he was fit and would be in the bench. So, yeah, it was it was great to see him back. And I just want to say on the apologies, whatever I said, whatever I did, I didn't mean it. <laughs> Heather, what did you make of the match itself? I think we all, as I said, you were off the pod last week, but on the pod we were all sort of predicting that we'd have too much an attack for Morton. We, we we predicted Morton would certainly make it hard for us, which we did, but we maybe, well, we didn't. We probably did foresee the struggle, but we all predicted bigger wins than we eventually got. But do you think we deserve the win? And how would you sum up our performance? I think overall, over the 90 minutes, we definitely deserved the win. I don't know about everyone else, but I got to a bit of a stage when it was 1-1 for quite a while. I thought about all the chances that we'd missed earlier and thought please don't let this be a you know a 95th minute steal for them but I do think overall like if in terms of the of the full 90 I think we did deserve it I mean I was so hopeful when we scored that so early on you know you kind of think oh this is going to be a great day it's going to be a you know one of our 4-0 5-0 specials which in recent years especially under Dylan we've we've come to really enjoy I just found some of it was just a very frustrating watch and it was quite it it, it felt at some points quite bitty and that we didn't quite have the final end product that was just you know that that fine that final pass or that final right decision that was being made I did think that at a certain point you know Morton were just throwing themselves into everything and in the sense of like blocking anything just being quite mean and thuggish just like their manager really I also thought that Dougie Emery's comments afterwards about the fact that they're absolutely gutted not to get a point and or like not to get something from it and that they were the better team I would not agree with that at all but it wasn't one of our cleanest performances and I think you really you felt the relief not just from the fans but also from the players to get Blair Alston's goal it wasn't a nice performance to watch. I was very nervous throughout the game. I never felt that we fully put them to bed. And I would have liked us to have been, you know, obviously like last time when we played them at Capolo and we, you know, we scored two goals in two minutes and it was, it became quite a party in the second half. I really, I it, it didn't feel like that at all. I'm just willing that whistle to go. But I do think it was good that even when they started to throw a lot up at the end, that we did manage to withstand that. And I don't know, like maybe some of the things that were happening off the pitch of Brian Graham that kind of like inspired the masses. But overall, great to get the points. You know, we've played, we've played better and not got things from a game. And um, and I think it's great, you know, these are the results that we do need to see out. These are the points that we need to guarantee us, at least in that playoff. Yeah, I agree. Risa, I think you brought this up a few weeks ago in the pod. Since Chris Jones came in, we've, we've rarely won games by small margins. When we win, we tend to win quite emphatically. Um, so I think it was good to get that sort of win under, under Doolan because we've not had too many of them. It was almost like, remember when the pitch was crap at Fur Hill, but we still had... A, a more than decent home record and we were scraping a lot of 1-0 wins out of that season it, it felt like that and that's something we've maybe not seen especially this season with the, the losses we've had down the spine of our team I think it was really good to get a win like that over over a physical and sort of a position that make it tough for you you know it wasn't a it wasn't like we had lots of the ball and just couldn't and, and it was one of those days and eventually we got the, we got the breakthrough you know it was a, a proper sort of slog everyone had to stand up and be counted uh, yeah, I think it was it was really important that, that Chris Dolan and some of the young players like Stanway and, and even Wazir Williams get experience of wins like that under their belt. 
Rhys, what did you make of the game on, on Saturday? Yeah, I've got to agree with what you guys were saying. And like, like you say, you thought we were off to a flyer goal inside two minutes and you thought this could be this could be a very early boing-boing. But it uh, wasn't to pan out that way. I thought Lawless was outstanding the first 20 minutes. He, was, he had the full-back on toast. But after that, I think he had one of his worst games in a wee while. His passing was really slack. Um, and obviously with McEnroy coming off, off at half-time, not have a, a go at uh, Blair Alston, because obviously Blair Alston probably had his best game for us. But I think you just lose so much of your um, creative intent when you take Kerr McEnroy off. Like, he's everywhere for us. Uh, I remember watching the highlights back for the Arbroath game as well. And like every highlight of us going up the pitch, McEnroy starts the movement. Um, and I just felt when he comes off, I was thinking to myself, we're going to maybe struggle this second half um, but thankfully even Fitzpatrick turned it on and, and like you guys said it, it reminded me of that uh, a couple of seasons ago you remember the, the Rafe Rovers game at Furhill where we scored in 90 plus 6 minutes like, it reminded me of that day where just nothing, I couldn't see a goal coming other than just a moment of magic and we obviously got that through Alston but yeah, it's it's always satisfying to get a win like that and, and a win like that against Morton because as I touched on last week, Morton will always try and make it a battle Morton are a really bad football inside and that's what they do they never try and change their, they never take a different approach and go do you know what we're going to sign technical footballers Morton are Morton and you know what you're getting nine times out of ten and they set up to do their job and obviously they got their dubious penalty it gave them the route back into the game no no complaints with the foul but it looked like it was a handball and they build up to the, the foul so um, disappointing with that one and I thought that's that's their, their way of getting a point but thankfully we, we managed to get the winner yeah, and like I say it's just it's just extra satisfying to, to come up against a side who are not really wanting to play football and they're just wanting to kind of kick you off the park um, but you still come away um, with the three points so yeah it was not the prettiest of performances but a very very valuable three points and gives us a wee bit of a buffer now in, in third spot David Heather mentioned that maybe the, the sort of Brian Graham shenanigans later on in the game Help the team? Do you think that was the case? Do you think if that was if it was one one against a team we don't have that sort of spicy rivalry with that the team would have been spurred on to win the game if Brian Graham hadn't sort of got involved and, and raised the atmosphere a bit more? Do you think that was the difference between one point and three on Saturday? I think you can make an argument for it. Um, I think obviously Graham is a valuable presence in these sort of games. I was actually uh, listening back to. Uh, a couple of podcasts from earlier in the season, partly to find uh, moments where we slandered Blair Alston. Um, I, I listened to one about the Airdrie game, where obviously we had been quite poor. And in that game, they talked about how Airdrie had, I think it was recent brought it up, but basically Airdrie had a lot of the ball and they passed it about. And they were, it was incredibly frustrating. And I remember it being a very frustrating game. Um, and the crowd were vocally very frustrated at that game it was very similar on Saturday in terms of the frustration but it was at the complete other ends of frustration as as we said there Morton are Morton but they, they were more than Morton on Saturday I mean they are in real trouble and just completely instead of trying to adapt to maybe make it a bit more you know, nice or good or anything like that. They're, they're completely going the opposite end and they were an absolute gang. I think one of the worst bunch of hatchet men. I'm talking, including like, like remember when like we played Pennycook and like for Martin and stuff and there's like Highland League guys and like, like East of Scotland League guys who are throwing in tackles and stuff like that. Nothing compared to Morton. Same with like with Connors Key when they came up. Like these awful, awful attritional games where you just... 
it, it, you just feel your life ebbing away as you watch it. And Morton out just absolutely <laughs> out bastardized the lot of them. They were horrendous. We had more casualties than like a battle in World War One. We had like so many cards, arguments, shoving, the lot handballs, just general horrendous cynical football. And um, I think that, to be honest, with the frustration with it, having someone like Graham, you know, winding up Morton fans, and although there's argument as to whether he's winding up Morton fans or just naturally reacting because they've been saying stuff to him or whatever, but even him coming out of the tunnel and, you know, giving, getting it up them and stuff like that, it was absolutely brilliant. And I think it does play a part because I think it's sort of like, let's do these bastards. Like, let's. Because sometimes in these sort of games, you, you resort to. You become hatchet men and you throw in the tackles and stuff like that. And I don't think we've done it. Certainly not as much as Morton, but I think that it made it all that all that sweeter. And um, yeah, I definitely say if it was against like I don't know, fourth in League One or something like that, I don't think we win that game. But yeah, I think I think the, the added spice of Morton definitely helped. I'm glad you've joined the joined the bandwagon, David, because I've been banging the drum that Morton are one of the worst teams I've ever seen at this level for about 18 months now, and I couldn't believe they came fifth last year. Like, see if. I think I was on. I was recorded one night saying that if they won the league, I would never go to a Scottish football game again. And I, I would have stood by that. They like they've been honking the joint out for for far too long. And I know based on the last five minutes, they're now probably guaranteed a win at Capital against us next time out. But my God, they're due a relegation. Heather, I'm going to come to you on the on Brian Graham's red card as the sort of pod disciplinarian. Like you're the teacher. You've you've had lots to say about your head in the past. A few bits of listener correspondence about it, and then I'll get your take. Um, EP has uh, asked, is Graham's red card the most well worth the effort since Muirhead in the Challenge Cup final? Um, Blakey has asked, does having two hothead captains and vice captain hinder us? And uh, Ross Alexander has asked, how costly will be will Brian Graham's needless sending off be? How much of a how much of a free pass does Brian Graham get based on what we what might have been said to him by Morton fans um, or are we quite critical of him because we know he's, he's no stranger to, to a red card how critical can we be of, of Brian Graham for this incident on Saturday well for me and I mean obviously we were at the Jazz Foundation thing last night where he was asked about it and I think he was quite um, reflective himself and and did admit hold his hand up and say he shouldn't have been wound up in the way that he was and um, we, I mean, when you sign Brian Graham, when you've had him for this length of time, you know what you're getting with him. And um, and Jules uh, spoke about the fact that, you know, the, the way that Brian Graham motivates, the way that he looks after people, the way that he leads the team is so important. And I don't think any of us could say that's not the case. We all really enjoy the benefits of Brian Graham. You do think, and as I mean, I've been extremely critical of, of Aaron Muirhead and I stand by what I've said. And I do think like if you're looking at it from like without your thistle Brian Graham goggles on, like again, your club captain, that being the inspiration to people like Ben Stanway, James Lyon, Xander McKenzie, and even the younger ones, like I mean, um the Diet guy, like they're trying like they're trying to mould him with Graham. So that's not what your captain the person that you know that people are looking up to should be doing but the thing that he like I think with Graham is well I, I don't know I don't know if I'm just being silly here but like Aaron Muirhead has continuously got it wrong and continues to do it and doesn't really show that much progression Graham hasn't had as much as uh, it hasn't been as bad recently or as at least as many as Aaron Muirhead I do think overall it shouldn't happen but 
the way that that you know that Graham will give back and and then some to the club. I don't know if that earns him a tiny bit of more grace than your head occasionally, and um, and the you know the importance of his goals. But I think I mean obviously we all have, we can have a laugh about it and the photos and things and whatever and you know he's our Brian Graham. We 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 love him for what for what he is, but. You know, with the worry that potentially he could be out for quite a time, that is quite costly for us. And um, and we're going to have to, and I mean, we're, we're lucky we've got people like um, Adloy to come in and maybe gives Wes McDonald, uh, you know, a chance to maybe come in off the bench. We definitely have options and we are lucky, but I, I can't say, oh, yeah, that was absolutely brilliant. I absolutely loved it when he did that because it's 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 not true. Um, and I think that we do need to, you know, it's interesting because like Lawless was captain at Dunfermline. You just want, and I, I and I don't know, he's never really had that kind of opportunity at Thistle, and might just not be like something that he's interested in at the moment, or or I don't know, or maybe it's just a different dynamic the way that our team's working. Because you do see that Graham and Muirhead command a lot of respect, and a lot of people listen to them, but you do wonder like if that is the best way forward when potentially you could at one point have both our captain and um, and our face captain unavailable at certain points I, yeah but like we know that Banzo like it doesn't suit Banzo and I just don't really think there's anyone else in the team that does have the that leadership role but you just hope that they might learn their lesson a little bit I think there are slight differences between the sort of the Muirhead lack of discipline and, and Graham's lack of discipline. I think Muirhead loses his discipline when, when things start to go bad for him. And I, th- I think that's different from Graham because I think you get the best out of Brian Graham when he, he's riled up and he's right up for it. And he, he, he's so close to the edge often and often he crosses it with the, the sort of red cards you see. Because I, I think back to the sort of games where he gets it a lot and you think back even this season to the game at Kaplow where he was getting dogs abuse and he scores two goals. It's that sort of Brian game that's brilliant. And you sort of compare it to guys in the past like like Wayne Rooney, for example, and it's like if if you took that bit of sort of like the dog out of them, are they as effective? And I probably need a parallel universe to sort of work out if they would be. It'd be a fascinating experiment if you told Brian Graham, right, you're not allowed to react to anything, be calm, be cold all the time. Would he have as good a goal record? Would he be as important in our team? I, I don't know. I'm probably not going to lambast him because we don't know what was said by modern fans, but um, I, I wouldn't change anything about Brian Graham. I, I think we're lucky to have him. And if, if the cost of having him is him missing four or five games a season through suspension, then then so be it. David or Reese, do you want to come in on the, the Graham red card before we move on? Yeah, I was going to say, it's not it's not a 100% analogous, but it's sort of a good comparison of, we've talked before about um, fissile keepers, the sort of DNA of a fissile keeper and the, sort of the perfect fissile keeper is someone like Cherney who would pull off incredible saves um, well beyond your comprehension but also chuck goals in at the same time and it's sort of that thing of well if they could do all the good things and get rid of the bad things they wouldn't be playing with us because they'd be too good and they would be, they would be signed by Aberdeen or Hearts or whoever and I think that's, there's, there's a good comparison there of it, it part of our DNA is that there's got to be a flaw or there's got to be a foible in there for it to work. I think that because the problem is, is that if they are that good, as we've seen with, you know, say Holt or Doherty, um, you know, they, they get snapped up. But yeah, I just feel that with Graham, it's one of those where you, you get what you get and, you know, 
I think you're right, Matt, in the sense that it's because of that sort of temperament and aggression, which makes it sound like he's battering people, which not, but that sort of hot bloodiness is what gets the best out of him, and that without it, he is not going to be nearly as effective a striker. And it's very much the much like with Cherney, where he would chuck in a goal, but you know you'll win it back because you'll save as a goal in a critical game and keep as a point or three points or whatever. I think it's the same with Graham. Yeah. I... I, I totally get what you're saying, David. I don't know. I'd love to ask Brian Graham. I, I wouldn't say like his, his sort of hot-headedness has, has held him back, definitely not in his Thistle career. I wouldn't imagine his career at all. It's, he, he might disagree, but I, I don't think it would like hold him back in a way that you know like an inconsistent goalkeeper might. But I totally get your point. Like you, you've got to take the you've got to take the rough with the smooth, and we get much more smooth with, with Brian Graham than rough. Reese, do you want to come in at all on on Brian Graham? Uh, I've not got too much to say on it either, really, to be honest. You, you know what you get from Brian Graham. Um, he's always been the same, and I think that is a big part of his character. And I don't actually mind players that sort of wear their heart on their sleeve and they are a wee bit passionate. And sometimes that can can obviously boil over. You, we, we all know the likes of your head as well. Um, but I wouldn't change that from their game. I think that's what makes them the player that they are. Um, and I actually think it's dying out a wee bit in modern football. So... Um, so they're a dying breed um, and I'm happy for, to have the both of them in our squad and I actually think they are good leaders but obviously sometimes they, they can just let let that temperament get the better of them um, in terms of Graham's red cards you know what I think it was worth it because we won in the end and stuff and we didn't actually get reduced to 10 men um, but obviously it's, it's difficult now to, to lose him for some important games but Tommy Adelaide is a, a very a very good and capable backup and, and he's probably deserved a run in the team and it's difficult for him because you're not really going to get that especially with Graham being made the captain this season um, so he's, he's going to have a wee run at it now so he's got to take this chance with, um, with open arms and, and hopefully it will cause it'll be cause for some good competition moving forward um, and who knows maybe Graham could have a wee bit of a if Tommy Adloy goes and scores a, a few goals gets a hat-trick in the game you never know Graham can have a, a job in his hand of getting back in the starting eleven. so um, hopefully that is the case, um, and it's only going to be positive for Partick Fussell. Heather, final word. I think there's definitely there's always a place for passion. You, you know, you you can't play for a Thistle, be successful, and not have it. I think you just need to like. I think well, Reese hit the like mentioned it there. The fact that if Brian Graham had still been on the pitch when that happened, would we technically have gone down to ten men? Like that's another one of those kind of questions. And I think. Like he's he himself said that he he got it wrong and it was silly. So like you know in, in the grand scheme of it, we never want to change Brian Graham. He's absolutely fantastic. He is one of the best things about our club. But when someone does something that potentially could have affected, we do need to call it out. Fair enough. David, who stood out for you on Saturday? Um, I mean there was quite a few. I think Wasiri is coming on to a game. Each week he's get built. You can see the confidence building each week, and um, even when he get uh, punted to left back when Mill went off, I still thought he'd done a perfectly serviceable job. Um, I think Muirhead was really good in defence as well. Uh, amazingly, considering Morton and he'd considering the really really agricultural and at times just really not violent but aggressive game to have Muirhead there, he he done really really well, and it could have been. A whole, a whole different kettle of fish with um, your head, and Graham obviously 
absolutely getting the Morton fans frothing at the bit. I believe in the meeting of manager night, they said that um, Graham was given a card again for coming out celebrating because he could have incited a riot, which I find quite adorable. Um, the idea that they would all be waving their seven-fingered hands uh, in a fist motion at them and trying to get over the barrier and all that. But um, yeah, um, but no, I, I thought everyone... Wasn't our best performance, but I think a, a lot of that was we were anchored to Morton. They dragged us down, and we we weathered the storm. And yeah, I think there was quite a few good players um, in there. And obviously Blair Olsen is the greatest striker in world football at the moment. The second he scored that goal, he was like, I could I could score more, and he was playing in a more forward position. I mean, he didn't score any other, and he probably will, he'll either never score again or become our eighth top goal scorer. I am convinced of this that he's it's one or the other. I don't want him to score a second if it's only going to be two. Make it yeah. one or one or one hundred and like eleven, right? N- n- nothing in between. I'm with you. I don't think I've ever reacted to a thistle goal like that. I just had my hands on my head for about three seconds um, before I sort of started celebrating. Like I, It was right in front of me, so I got the, the proper view of it. I could tell it was awesome straight away. And uh, yeah, I was. I would also like to apologise, going back to the apology section, because I, I did spend the first 20 or 30 minutes of the second half just um, in despair at some of, of the football I've, I've seen, and, and from Blair Olsen specifically. And uh, for a 20-quid donation to Jags for Good, we will release the, the Draw, Lose or Draw group chat from 4pm to 4.30pm. Um, Reese, <laughs> who stood out for you? You know, it's funny. Um, you know that Blair Austin's got that in his locker because for his whole career, it's been a running joke where Blair Austin doesn't score normal goals. His whole goal catalogue is literally 30-yard screamers like on the first-time volley. Like That's what he does. <laughs> as much as that sound, that's what Blair Austin does and that's what he brings you to the team. We've yet to see it up until Saturday. So um, in terms of who I thought the standout performers was, I thought um, Fitzy was, was man in the match. I thought he was incredible. Um, and, and a game like that where you can't really get going and, and Morton don't really allow you to get going, um, he was he was leaving them in his wake and it was just skipping by players. They were, they were volleying him and kicking him like three or four times where there was like a good three or four fouls and the referee was playing advantage. Um, so I like, I thought Fitzy was actually unplayable um, and actually unlucky not to have won a penalty in the first half. I, I thought myself at the time from the North Stand, it did look like a bit of a dive or a trip. Um, but having seen back, you know, it's like almost the VAR footage when they show you a, a slowed down or a, a still frame, it looks like a penalty, but it might have been different in real time. Um and, and like like so already you mentioned, I thought the defence was really good, uh, especially um, Muirhead and and Lewis Nielsen has just been a revelation for us. We always seem to to, to bring a player in like the likes of your Mayo's, your McAvoy's, in that sort of mode where you have a young learning centre half who, who's already got a bit of pedigree and they seem to be playing for like the Scotland Twenty Ones and and he's just carried on from that that we've had previously. So yeah, been delighted with how Lewis Nielsen's been playing and. And, and even wise, as you say, I thought it was going to be difficult for him actually getting switched over to the left hand side. And I thought, you know, that could have that could have been a, a bit of a, a wrong move from doing you know, you know, Mellon's played on the left before, he's played on the left for us before, he's played on the left for Levy before. Um, and it could have been easy just to slot him in there. But I think he was wanting to get the best out of the the McMillan Wallace combo. Um but it was it was it was could have been tricky for Wasiri, but I think he slotted in fine and, and he had a good game again. So couple of good performances, yeah, um, and, and what was a, a tricky day for us. 
just a word on Harry Milne. Um, I think Chris Jones said at last night's event that he had been feeling a, a tightness in his back for a couple of weeks, and I think he just overstretched it in the first half, and he was getting a scan last night. So hopefully that was that was more precautionary than than anything too serious, and we'll, we'll hear about that and uh, this week how how long he'll be out for. Heather, who stood out for you? I think most of the people that have been said already, I mean, I think the goal was fantastic as well. The the takedown and the way that it was played, I agree with you, Matt, that maybe it wasn't Lawless's best game, but the way that he can just, it, like you heard the whole crowd just like cheer and celebrate when he takes balls down from the air. It's absolutely glorious. And, you know, you worry in a few years time when you're, you know, you're not going to have a Stevie Lawless doing that in in, in a Thistle team forever. And it, we just, we, we just are so lucky to have, to have our own little Messi, he's he's just brilliant. I thought it was great to have Fitzy back. Uh, he does bring something else, and just seeing the difference in him. And you think about the the player that came or that was with us at the start uh, when he you know when he came up through the academy, the way that he works back, tracks back, uses his body, gets involved. It's um you know it you feel you feel really proud. I know you're not you know we haven't had really any involvement in this training but just because he is you know he's one of our own you just I just think it's absolutely brilliant when when people like Ian Fitzpatrick come and you know make a big difference in the team uh, but no I think I, I as as I reiterate I think it's great to see uh with series confidence um you know really uh hit the hit us you know hit the sky at the moment I think he he really deserves it and I hope that he continues to um to continues to grow in that and um and Lewis Nielsen, I mean Jules was saying last night about him being a um like coming as a kind of a kind of midfielder, that kind of idea that he could play there. But I mean, why would he when he plays so brilliantly at centre half and his control of the ball was fantastic? We um it you know, for for it being quite a shaky performance, if you actually look at the individuals, it was it was a good it was it was good and there were positives. It just the overall atmosphere was just a bit you know, tight edge. Yeah, no, I agree with the Williams chat. The two players I wanted to focus on were Fitzpatrick and Muirhead. I'll start with Fitzpatrick. I think the sort of biggest compliment you can pay Fitzpatrick is that we've not missed Scott Tiffany this season. He's really taken on the mantle of being a creative threat with Lawless and he's been brilliant. And you see it with, in the second half especially, I thought Morton started to double and triple Markham like teams were doing to Tiffany for a time um, in his first season. And that that was the sort of treatment Fitzpatrick was getting. Also, I think that was my favourite yellow card of the season, his tackle, <laughs> tackle late on that he got. And Muirhead, I, I know we've been critical of Muirhead this season for, for a few things, for his discipline and poor defending. But I thought he was he was almost perfect for me on Saturday, just the way he led the back four. Um, the way he sort of guided like Nielsen, who was also impressive through the game. But... I thought Muirhead was terrific, especially in the second half. Like Morton seemed to be sort of shelling balls onto him, and he would either sort of back off sensibly, let Oakley take it in, and, and then deal with it, or he would win the header. And and just about every decision, I thought Muirhead got perfectly. So uh, they're the two players I'd like to to shout out. Reese, do you want a final word on on the game? Yeah, um, just when we were mentioning um, maybe not having Stephen Laws forever, but. Uh, just remember there Saturday just gone was um, brought up Stephen Laws's 100th goal contribution for a party at Fissel. I think that takes him, I'm sure it was 48 goals and 52 assists now. So uh, an absolutely terrific record for a, for a Fissel player. Absolutely. Last listener question. Delighted to receive this from Craig1876 on Twitter asking about Jamie Snedden's penalty kick save ratio. Gave me a chance to, to geek out for half an hour about 
penalty saving stats with goalkeepers. Um, Jamie Snedden's penalty stats are actually very interesting. His his record in in open like ninety minute football in terms of p- penalty saving is rotten. He's only saved I think it was three out of three out of twenty five I believe it was. But then when you factor in penalty shootouts. The, the penalties converted past Snedden in an open play in 90 minutes is 88%, but then when you factor in penalty shots, it goes to 77%, which is, is just about good for a goalkeeper, slightly above average. So then I had a look at, at other particular goalkeepers in the last decade decade or so, and in, in worst to best, had Paul Gallagher, 84% of his penalties in, in his career went by him. Scott Fox, 83% of the penalties in his career have gone by him. David Mitchell, 82% of the penalties in his career have gone by him. Jamie Snedden at 77% with with Thomas Cherney also in 77%. And then the best penalty saved record of, of the last 10 years, Thistle goalkeepers, Connor Hazard actually, 76%. I think he saved one at Tynecastle for us and the the Scottish Cup final, doing a bit of, bit of good work for his stats uh, when he saved some in the shootout for Celtic. But I think it's unfortunate that so many penalties have been awarded recently. And I always think it's harsh when goalkeepers get blamed for not saving penalties because they shouldn't save penalties, really. But I think when so many in a row go by a goalkeeper, I think it's fair to ask questions. I think that's something probably they'll be working on in training because I think we're, we're obviously penalties are part of the game. Recently, I think even if you look back to last season, we've not had a, a great rate of penalties when you look at the shouts when been involved in at the start of the season, Dingwall, I think it's across the two goalkeepers on our books that the, the penalty record in, in the last year or so isn't the best. So that might be something Kenny Arthur's working on in training. But in terms of his career stats, Jamie Snedden is, is a sort of fine, <laughs> fine goalkeeper when it comes to penalties. He's just not had a good run recently. David, do you want to come in there? Yeah, I just wanted to ask, I don't know if you mentioned at the start, do we have a general average sort of percentage of what a keeper usually gives away in penalties. It's it's this is like a stat that I've found it really hard to find. I think it's somewhere between seventy six and eighty percent of penalties are scored. Um, right, okay. I think it just that... varies like it varies quite a lot. But somewhere between seventy six and eighty. So if, if you're in that sort of ballpark you're doing okay. And then if I'd say if you're over eighty, you're probably poor um in terms of dealing with penalties. Uh, the other thing I was gonna ask actually, um as well as obviously you were a goalkeeper and you, you you're part of the goalkeepers union um, and yeah. so to say what do goalkeepers do to improve their penalties like what what would you suggest if you're great goalkeeper knowledge uh, what like but what what's the general go-to thing in terms of that because I, I don't know how it's something that you can train for because i mean what the problem is is that for, to train penalties you need to, people to take the penalties who will also be training to score the penalties so yeah. either you have the people uh, taking the penalty score every one and they're amazing and then the, the goalkeeper's down or the goalkeeper saves them all and then the other people can't take penalties so what what do what's the general de rigueur thing with that well can i just say firstly david I'm absolutely delighted, even though it's taken 171 episodes to be finally asked a goalkeeping question on here. So thank you. <laughs> it, was, it was obviously I was at a Sunday league and sort of a regional goalkeeper, so I, I never played like in front of TV cameras or for professional clubs or anything like that. So it was like I would do different things. I would like maybe stand two thirds to one side of the goal to try and psych a striker out and then move back to the middle and then dive to the, the side I was standing at and I, I found that quite successful. The problem with the level Jamie Snedden and, and David Mitchell are at is if they do that once, 
they'll do their homework on strikers, but similarly strikers and penalty takers will do their homework on goalkeepers. So it's it's hard. And I think that's maybe where Sneddon's been caught out because I think he's had the he had the penalty save from Tavernier at Ibrox, which I think that was him like playing mind games with Tavernier, like dancing on the line. And I think he said in the programme in an interview with, with Welshie that he started dancing the line. And normally when goalkeepers dance in a line, then they pick a side and dive. So you get a lot of balls going down the middle after that. So he decided he would dance along, make Tavernier think he was going to dive, and then just stand up. And that's how he saved that. But then I think he's repeated it. So strikers or penalty takers, I think, are maybe wise to or if he's dancing on the line, he might not move. And I think we've seen with a, a couple of penalties where he's sort of been caught a little bit flat-footed because he's probably trying to do that again. So I think in terms of, of goalkeepers at our level, it's about just mixing it up. And there's obviously an element of luck. You know, you can read strikers as much as you can with their body language and their run-up, but there's obviously an element of luck as well. So I think you've, you've just got to vary your tactics. You know, make yourself big. I like goalkeepers that try and psych out, like talk to the striker, try and put them off, do anything you can to put them off. But... Um, yeah, mix up. I think is my would be my number one thing, David. If only I, I don't know if we included any of this in the twelve thirteen pods, but if only you had been able to coach. Lee Robinson has like a bulletproof a penalty yeah. tactic that he just yeah. refused to disclose to us. And there, there were several times you asked him, "Do you fancy fancy telling you anything about?" That? Oh no, no, I keep that for my my young goalkeepers. One of these days, it, it, we'll, we'll get him on and he'll reveal his goalkeeping tactic. Um, I'm always a fan of the towel. That's always a good one. You put the towel yep. on one side of the corner yep. and then everyone subconsciously goes that way. But yeah, Lee Robinson, if you are listening, um, hello. And um, can, can you please tell us, please? <laughs> well, I hope it's not 171 more episodes until I'm asked another goalkeeping question. That was, that was good fun. Reese, try to come in. Anyway, that, that just reminds me of a, a tweet that I've seen on Twitter. Well, X. Um, I don't even think you can call them tweets anymore, but it was uh, it'll be a cold day in the sun before I watch a goalkeeper compilation, and it was a Manuel Neuer video from the 2014 World Cup and it, as soon as I've seen that, it just reminded me of this podcast, and, and here we are with it, with it, finally getting a goalkeeper question but uh, I completely agree with you it's one of the things that just gets overlooked really but uh, I've got to say as well like I remember mentioning it after that dreaded day in Dingwall that we can we seem to still be mentioning now, but our keepers don't do enough to to put the the forwards off because at the end of the day it's a professional footballer trying to strike the the ball past a goalie from twelve yards and I, I think I agree with you Matt that like a lot a lot of the best keepers when it comes to saving penalties do it's all about the, the psychological aspect and and talking to the strikers putting them off and, and I just feel that our keepers don't do enough of that personally. Um, we'll move on to, to Sunday's game then for the women's team. The, the women secured a place in the Sky Sports Cup semi-final with a 2-1 win over Montrose. You have to edit this bit out, David. Did anyone catch any of the game? David, how important is it for the women to make a semi-final and, and what sort of what sort of mark do you think it could leave in the, in the rest of the teams in the league in terms of the league form going forward? Oh, it's 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 absolutely huge, especially with Glasgow City being knocked out. Being in a semi-final, I mean, I went to the Scottish Cup semi-final um, a couple of years ago at the Falkirk Stadium. We took the biggest crowd that day and were really, really up for it. It was a really great day um, out and to have it again would be uh, absolutely brilliant. As well as that, building on the game at Firhill. Um, and getting a win Sky Sports League Cup, I think it's the League Cup essentially for uh, the Women's League. I mean, I'm not going to lie, I'm going to be putting numerous tenors into every 
Faith's collection boxes <laughs> tomorrow to make sure we get Hibs in the draw. Because if we get Hibs in that semi-final draw, we've beaten Hibs before. We can do it again. It's also a team that we have a lot of rivalry with. And winning that to then get to a final, absolutely incredible. Like, can you imagine what the, the sort of the, the turnout after what we got for how if we got to the the, women, the women's final? Um, so yeah, a huge, huge game, an amazing result, um, in tough circumstances, and yeah, absolutely, no, absolutely brilliant from them. And the thing is, is that when you get to the final, it's one game. You know, it you could win it. Uh, it doesn't matter if it's Celtic or Rangers or whatever. Anything can happen over 90 minutes and even getting to a final for Brian Graham, you know, as an amazing striker for us as well. And, you know, for services for winding up Morton fans, he's already issuing for Hall of Fame anytime soon. But adding adding that in would just catapult him up the scale in terms of just most significant Thistle players. So, yeah, a a great result. And please, Hibs, please. (laughs) Heather, that was... The club captain Demi Falconer's 100th game on Sunday. How big an achievement is that for her? Demi is absolutely fantastic and just such an inspiration to to many people, I'm sure. And just someone that you just, you know, I've got two nieces and I love the, and she's so great with them every time she, like, they interact with them. And I just think what an amazing, you know, hero to have. Um, she is a model professional at everything but she's also extremely supportive of so many things that happen at our club on and off the pitch playing 100 games is uh, fantastic and she probably has had a player of the match performance in nearly every single one of those she is so cool collected and is just um, a fantastic a fantastic captain and I think we're very lucky to have her um, at Thistle and someone like her is the kind of the difference when we go into these you know latter stages of a of a, a cup competition she's someone that will make a difference you know the fact that she's in team of the week nearly every week it seems it's just so impressive and yeah we're just, um, just so so thankful to have someone like her and uh, I hope there's a hundred more Absolutely, yeah. I don't think I've seen her have a bad game in the in the women's games I've been to. She's very consistent at the back, uh, defensively and on the ball. Very impressive. So congratulations to her for 100 games. We'll have a word on last night as at time of recording. Very unusual for us to be recording on a Tuesday night. Actually, I'm hoping that will that will free up the rest of the week and I'll, I'll be a, a day behind for the rest of the week. That's always nice. Um, a word on last night's Meet the Manager event where Chris Dillon, Paul McDonald, and Brian Graham fielded questions from Welshie, who expertly hosted the evening, and the, the fans in attendance. Heather, what did you make of, of last night? Yeah, it was absolutely brilliant. Um, it was just fin- a fantastic way to support the club and and for the Jazz Foundation members to have a conversation and get to ask questions that sometimes when you're standing in the stands and not quite sure what's happening and want to question it, you know, it's just a nice opportunity to be able to see that. I think also it's great to see that, you know, people like Brian, Graham, Chris Dillon and Paul McDonald, they're just normal people who love our club the same that we do. And uh, and they're they're just excited to talk about Thistle, and I mean it really. I mean I've always talked about how fantastic Chris Dillon is, and I feel so lucky to have grown up in the Chris Dillon era of Thistle. But he is the way that he speaks about the club, the way like that he came across about you know the fact that he is learning, and he was really open about that. But 
no question got a two-word answer from him. Like everything got at least three or four minutes. And every I think generally, well, I mean, I obviously asked him a question and you feel like you're the only one in the room that he's talking to. Like he's just he just um he knows how to um he knows how to get all Thistle fans on side. He really is uh, just such an inspirational guy. And but I just thought the whole feel of it, it was a love. You know, it's nice to see your mem- the, the members, especially on a cold on a cold night like that, just to turn up and yeah, just it, I mean, I, I think it's very. We are lucky that we had it after two great wins for the club at the weekend. You just wonder how that would have been if that had been after the Arbroath, you know, disaster at Firhill. But um, but yeah, overall, a fantastic event. Lovely way for everyone just to feel involved in, um, and be able to ask the important questions like me asking Chris Dillon what his thoughts on party this old boing boing was. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. I, I was comparing it to the, the Gary Caldwell meet the manager about four years ago now and it was sort of night and day like Caldwell is obviously a confident public speaker as well and I, th- I thought they were actually both really informative nights when you compare them but in terms of coming away from the night who would I rather go in and work with as a player or as a member of staff every day who's, whose team would I rather support who do I think genuinely sort of cares for the club um, sort of more than themselves and, and the sort of crystal would tick all those boxes as you say Heather it's so much time for everybody's question I made so much time for the fans at the end. It was the same for Paul McDonald and Brian Graham. And I think sometimes I think we are guilty of it, of course, on the podcast of sort of micro-analyzing things like, oh, Doolany got that sub wrong, or Graham like missing chances or getting sent off. And we maybe don't like take a step back off enough to go, Wow, Chris Doolan's been sort of part of our club for close to 15 years now. Look at all the goals he's scored, look at the games he's been a part of. Now look what he's doing as a manager. Like we're so lucky to have a guy like that. Same for Graham. Like we probably don't appreciate enough. We wax lyrical about him often, but we probably don't do it enough. How lucky we are to have a guy in his thirties who's scoring all these goals for the club and who has like a genuine connection with the fans, like a, a proper connection that sort of. If you were sort of feeling that midday, oh, I can't really be asked going to the game today. You'd maybe think of Brian Graham and you go, I'll go because if Brian Graham scores, that it'll be instantly worth it. It's it's that sort of thing, and it's it's great to see nights like that. I think nights like that. Should be a more regular thing. It's I think it's maybe a shame Ian McCall didn't didn't do one. I, I know COVID probably got in the way, but I think that would would have maybe helped him as well. But um, yeah, thoroughly enjoyable night. David, what was your take? Much like yourself, I, I'm the previous meet the manager nights with Caldwell. I also found it to be very informative, and I found this one to be informative as well. It was really it, it was really nice just hearing sort of Graham's reasoning for coming to the club. He's talked before about it, but it was it was really nice to you can. It's not one of these sort of football media speak things where you sometimes see people and you know it's always the this is a big club you know with such history and you know can you know everyone's great around here and all that that's sort of the usual platitudes that you get from players at a football team. He, he talked about you know his connection to the sort of north of Glasgow and stuff like that and you know what being at Fissel means for him and yeah same with like Dolan as well like you can see this field enthusiasm in him and even Paul McDonald. I mean, Paul McDonald played with his before, but he wasn't obviously to the level of Dylan or Graham. But at the same time, he like he just sounds like someone who who genuinely loves every minute of being at Partick Thistle. And when we've had, you know, people in the past, I mean, like Caldwell meeting the managers, where it's it very much we felt like a stepping stone. And at the time, you had your your sort of players in their thirties were like Kenny Miller and stuff like that, people you just felt didn't have a genuine attachment to the club. 
a complete contrast to those uh, sort of meet the manager nights. And yeah, it just the, the enthusiasm just radiated off them. And yeah, I really, really enjoyed it. Dylan also have... draw list, or draw listener, as we as we found out, he, he's listened to one episode, um, the one that he was on. But I, I controversial. I don't think he should listen to us. Because oh, absolutely I, I, not, no. No, I mean, I mean, we're idiots. But yeah. like, even then, if you're a manager for any podcast, like you, you can't really consume yourself with that because if people are giving certain sort of criticisms, you, you know that sort of stuff will stick with you, and you'll you'll kind of get into your own head if you're just constantly looking at fan feedback and listening to podcasts and stuff like that. So, but yeah, but but he, he is confirmed listener, ticking the box. You know, we can take that. That's the roll the way to the bank. I was going to say I, confirmed for episode two hundred as well. Yeah. <laughs> I know he did. I know. But I was going to say I I really enjoyed the fact he asked Matt, "Is it a weekly podcast?" Just because it's what you say at the start of every episode. <laughs> but um, he was he was so lovely, and he was like, I mean, he seemed very interested. I don't know if he actually was, but he came across like he it was like the most interesting thing he'd heard about. So it was I um I really want to applaud him for that as someone who's my job is to sound interested quite a lot. I know sometimes it can be painful. So he he did a really good job of that. But I just think also, like, they all just were such, such normal guys. And Paul McDonald came across so well and just seemed like a really funny guy that you just think must be so fun to work with. We will finish, as we always do, with Partridge Thistle. Now, there is no episode next week due to uh, the internationals and we're at the Challenge Cup. We will be releasing an interview myself and David did with... Uh, David McKinnon uh, a week or two ago that will be coming out next week but as this is the closest recording to the 60th anniversary of everybody on the panel's favourite show Doctor Who if you could pitch a Doctor Who script with Partick Thistle in it what would you do? Now David I'm guessing what yours is going to be right so I'll leave you to last I I think I know what you're going to say Reese I'll come to you first because I know you are a a Doctor Who anorak I know you know everything there is to know about Doctor Who Oh, please just miss me out. I'm, I'll take the first one. See if, if I'm going to get a suspension next week, then so be it. But I, I don't have an answer here. I apologise. Heather, have you got anything? Well, my one of my favourite episodes is uh, with Matt Smith and Amy, and they go back and they look at all Vincent Van Gogh's um, art stuff, and you know he gets to see like the the impact of his work, even though. He wasn't alive to know it. You know the one. You know the one yep, I mean, Matt. Of course. Yep. Um, and I would, and I kind of would love for you know for maybe in like you know several you know generations time or whatever for a, a kind of for like Chris Doolin or some someone to like come back and like see the impact that you know that he has made on some of these uh, incredible ones. So maybe one of our, one of the more kind of emotional emotional ones like you know like the Rosa Parks one like those are like those are my favorite Doctor Who's like not the ones with like Daleks in them or like Weeping Angels like I'm 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 the crier so I would like something like that like one of those ones when they get to look back and see just the difference that that they make or when they're not in the world how different the world is I like those powerful ones I'd love that idea Heather there was a a perfect couple of seconds there where I thought you were going to say you were going to take David Shrigley like a hundred years in the future so we could just see like the, the impact Kingsley had made on general society but, but Chris Jones oh, fine. Oh I love that, <laughs> that is so good. <laughs> Chris Jones fine, that's also very wholesome. 
Could we do it for like all the artists that like Dunnino gave us like a foam finger and like that cushion <laughs> and like the yellow cards and stuff like that? We could definitely do that. <laughs> David, my guess is it's going to be elephant at Fur Hill related. <laughs> I knew you were going to say the elephant. <laughs> I knew you were going to say it. I mean, of course, uh, there's nothing I'd love more than to see William Hartnell t- try and uh, have a, try and get up from his lie down to find out about the elephant at Fur Hill. So no, absolutely that that would be fantastic. Some sort of caper, maybe maybe like I don't know the 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 dialects could like capture the elephant or something. I don't know, but it would be it would be a good laugh. But no, I was going to go back to um, our first game against Valencia. Doctor Who goes back to over Newton and sees our first game of Valencia because the match report is literally we won and it was at our ground. And I want Doctor Who to do a full like James Kearney long read match report of like 3,000 words on his notepads on this game because we don't know who played in it. We don't know who played for them. I, a really, really boring Anorak episode, but realistically, if I was to go in the TARDIS, I'd probably want to go back to that game to find out what the hell happened. Um, or maybe even when we, we formed it, apparently part at Butter Halls. But um, if that's not available, elephants all the way, definitely. Yeah, I'd like a sort of Fires of Pompeii style. Did the doctor actually put the elephant there? Um, scenario and that's why there is an elephant buried under for hill but if you've enjoyed this Partridge Thistle section and, and I know we do have Doctor Who fans in our very small listenership please do get in touch with some of your, with some of your Doctor Who Partridge Thistle scripts and I will be sure to, to spend lots of the next recording reading them out and if you've made it this far into the episode thank you we will be back recording in a couple of weeks as I say we'll be back next week with our David McKinnon interview in the meantime stay safe